Hey everyone, welcome to the Two Quarterbacks, One Team Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Josh Berger, joined as always with Josh Lake, and today we are recording while we're actually having the last round of preseason games. So a lot of things to discuss, a lot of interesting injuries, and as well as a suspension overturn. So we'll just go ahead and dive right in. Lake, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I'm not really paying a lot of attention in this final set of preseason games, but it's exciting because it means the next set of NFL football we get will really matter. Um, and yeah. we'll have Tom Brady, it turns out. So we will. It's, uh, it's a fun time. Yeah, we will. And that was just announced earlier this morning, actually, about how Tom Brady has had his four-game suspension overturned, yet again proving that Roger Goodell is a mastermind of everything except actual justice. So, like, whenever we talk about Brady... What does this actually mean for fantasy? How much are you bumping Brady's ranking up if you were drafting today? I think he definitely goes up for me, but honestly, I've been assuming there would be a reduction in the suspension. Um, people that I have seen um, on Twitter and writing articles, um, a few different lawyers that have analyzed it and looked at the law and what would happen if this went to court have all said that the NFL had a pretty weak case, that they really messed things up in several ways, that the there's not really any basis for this suspension. And so I kind of assumed that he would be coming back. It, I don't know. I definitely did not assume he would play all the games, but I thought it would be at least reduced. So for me, he definitely moves up, but not, not as far as for people that were projecting him to be gone for the first four full games. So uh, he, he definitely gets into that second tier of quarterbacks for me, the guys right after Luck and Rodgers. What about for you? What do you what do you expect out of Tom Brady now that he has a full 16 games? I mean, I have to admit that he does move up a little bit more. I was thinking he might get a game reduced or so, but I was not expecting the full reduction uh, just based on Goodell's general stubbornness. So I had him around QB 11, and he jumps up probably to about QB 5 for me. Um, I would need to double-check over my rankings, but he would be right there with kind of Wilson, Peyton, Romo, all of those guys. Breeze as well would be in that mix. Yeah, and it's it really has seemed like from what I've what I've been able to gather that people have kind of a cluster there where it really varies. Russell Wilson has been one of the top guys in that tier for a lot of people, but Peyton Manning, Drew Brees have also been there. I think, like you said, Tom Brady now has an argument for it. Ben Roethlisberger has an argument for it. Tony Romo. It really is a list where there's no clear favorite out of that group of quarterbacks. Yeah. Now, it sounds like for you, Rodgers is still very much in his own tier, and it's been a couple weeks since we've uh, posted, basically right before the Jordy Nelson injury occurred was our last post. Do you find that Rodgers is still right there up with Andrew Luck for you? Because i got to admit, for me, he's kind of more in his own little tier in between Luck and then the rest of the crowd that we just discussed. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's It was shortly after posting my, my article on two-quarterback draft strategy saying that I would take Rodgers first overall that the Jordy injury happened, and I, I definitely have modified that. I, I'm right there with you that I think Luck is clearly in a tier of his own, but I agree with you that Rodgers didn't fall as far as – he didn't fall far enough to be in that next tier. I, I do see him as clearly a better option than um, those next guys, but kind of my point throughout the offseason was you take Luck or Rodgers or you wait quite a while. I think now I've modified that to you take Luck or you wait. I'm not – with the price that 
I still see Rodgers going for in two quarterback leagues. I think he's fallen enough that I'm not willing to pay it if he's going in those first three to four picks of a, a two quarterback draft. I'd rather wait and see kind of the back half of the first round before I'd be willing to take him. Yeah, I, I was actually a little bit surprised that Rodgers didn't drop a bit more from what just a little bit that I saw. And, you know, our main draft that we were in uh, together in College Station, it happened right before the actual injury happened, so we didn't get to see that there. But it seems like overall people are still very much keeping Rodgers in that number two spot, which, I mean, is a testament to his talent, to be sure. Right, and he he should be able to elevate the play of the people around him. He still has Randall Cobb. Um, he People like Devontae Adams, and I think rightly he's got a huge boost in his draft stock, but... Adams was incredibly inefficient last year, and it's a question of can he make a big jump from that? And then, beyond that, who the third receiver is? You loved the Packers' offense when Adams was going to be their second or was going to be their third, but when he's their second, and you're looking even further down the depth chart for a third, it does raise some questions about what exactly that offense will look like. I think it'll still be strong, but not quite as strong. Obviously, when you lose someone of Jordy's caliber, it's going to hurt the offense as a whole. Yeah. Definitely will, but I'm glad to hear that you haven't jumped uh, too far down on him because I, I was actually hoping he'd be more of a value in these last round of uh, fantasy football drafts, but it just hasn't really happened. He's pretty much stayed just a few dollars down or a little later in a round, really. So, well, let's transition a bit, actually, like to talking about the draft that you and I do together in our main league, the uh, Hungry Hungry Hippos League. Now, this is a, for those of you who haven't been listening recently, uh, two quarterback league with two running back spots, three wide receiver, a tight end, and then, of course, the obligatory defense and kicker spots. So there is no flex in it, which really changes the dynamic a bit. And Lake, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how much that you saw that change, kind of the quarterback and running back spots. Um, yeah, so we've had this same league together. It's been drafting since 2002, and it's been the only change we've made in that entire time has been to go to two quarterbacks, and that was in 2005. So really, we've been stuck in the past with some of these settings. There's no PPR. There's no flex. We still have kickers. Dear Lord, just get rid of the kicker position. I can't get – I cannot convince the majority of the owners to switch. But, I was voting with you. I hate kickers. So yeah, much passion. people are entrenched in their, their love for kickers. I don't understand it. But – um, not having a flex definitely locks you in a little bit more, knowing you do have to start three receivers. Because if you're talking about a non-PPR league, typically you would be looking for running backs. One of the top strategies would be you rush to get a third running back because that's going to give you more certain points. But in a format where you're required to start three receivers, it definitely changes it where you are thinking a little differently about your strategy and knowing you have to go deeper in the wide receiver pool than you would otherwise. So it influences the demand for both running back and wide receiver positions. Yeah, it definitely does. And one of the things that was particularly interesting to me about this draft was this is the only year, at least in recent memory, and you've been in the league a little longer than I have, Lake, but the only year where running backs really were not the uh, kind of the top-valued item. In fact, wide receivers took a huge boost in value, a lot of guys even going for $40 or more, which is pretty high for a wide receiver in a non-PPR league. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people, you and me particularly, went zero RB strategy where we were basically just going for bottom-of-the-barrel running backs. Right, and it, 
You're absolutely right that there really was a shift. Now, we've only been an auction draft for a few years now, so we don't have as much data as we would otherwise because that is one shift we made. I, for, I neglected to mention. But this year, um, wide receivers really did take a jump. For whatever reason, we had several go above what the top wide receiver price had been over the last few years. Uh, more people were willing to to wait on running back, uh, you and me included. We'll probably talk about our personal strategies a little bit, but um, I think some of that is just the continuing shift in the NFL, that there um, is more and more passing going on. Um, there's always been in the league, the top, the top quarterbacks are going to throw a lot, but now you even see that filtering down to some of the worst teams that they're going to have more volume and they're going to make wide receivers more viable. So um, there's a lot of other factors involved as well, but it was interesting to see the shift this year, just anecdotally that wide receivers go for a little more and running backs are a little devalued. Yeah. And I think part of it too, was just seeing how, how bad the running back pool really has been. It was, in my opinion, basically if you didn't take the top five guys, that it wasn't worth really even drafting anyone for the next 15 to 20 just for how expensive the prices were going. And that varies from league to league, of course, but in ours it still seemed like there were a lot of fairly expensive running backs that just didn't feel like they matched the talent to the dollar sign. So now my strategy going into this was I really wanted to see if I could get Andrew Luck. Uh, I believe in Aaron Rodgers, but I was favoring Luck more from the get-go, and so whenever... Rodgers went for a little bit less. Luck was really a guy I targeted. And I did end up with him for a pretty expensive price. It cost a little over a quarter of my budget. But to me, there was such a huge gap between Luck and Rodgers and the rest of the pool that he was really the guy I wanted. And then I decided that I would save money by kind of streaming my running backs and going running back by committee or by opportunity. For you, you actually went a fairly similar strategy, but it seemed like you kind of had a lot more balance. There wasn't as much of a boom at quarterback and uh scraggling for the scraps at running back. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting variation because you and I both took similar approaches where we went with two elite wide receivers. Um, that was, And then after that, it kind of devalued running backs. But you really went zero RB and went very cheap and, and found some guys I like whereas I went for kind of more that middle tier you were talking about with guys like Lamar Miller, Mark Ingram, and Justin Forsett. I ended up with all three of them, and they were nowhere near the price of the top guys, but they also weren't nearly as cheap as the ones you ended up with. Um, and then at quarterback, I ended up with one good quarterback, relatively, Matt Ryan, and then nothing at QB2. That was kind of my area of of going cheap was thinking I can stream the second quarterback position, whereas yours was at running back particularly. So um, can you talk a little bit about who your running back targets were or what types of running backs you were looking looking at, knowing that your strategy was to really spend very little there? A couple of the running backs that I was targeting a little bit higher uh, that I did not end up with were guys like Carlos Hyde, Lamar Miller, um, Justin Forsett a little bit, but any guy that I felt like he had a pretty good lock for being able to put up decent yardage. Actually, in a couple of those, I ended up either going back and forth, bidding up the price with either you or Esquire, who's also been on our podcast in the past. Whenever all of those prices started getting a little too expensive, that was whenever I really decided to go all out, zero running back. Ideally, I would have liked to get a guy that finished in the top 15 or so last year, or I was projecting to do about as well. But that wasn't possible, so then basically going full zero running back strategy. I targeted guys like Ryan Matthews, Alfred Blue, Bishop Sankey, guys that I 
believed would really do fairly well this year and just were not being drafted for hardly anything. So I got Ryan Matthews for $2, for example, and Alfred Blue for the same, Giovanni Bernard for, I think it was 3 Guys like that were kind of the ones I was targeting that I feel like, at least in our league, because of how clustered the two uh, starting running backs position has been, they just weren't really on anyone's radar. By that point, they were spending money on wide receivers and tight ends. Right, and I I think those names really speak to the difference between PPR leagues and non-PPR, because if you go zero RB in a PPR league, a lot of the theory says that you go for the guys that are third down backs that are going to see targets because you get a a whole point every time they catch the ball, even if it doesn't go very far. Um, But in in non-PPR, I think what you're pointing out is that it, it is different. You're looking for guys that maybe aren't on the elite teams, maybe they aren't thought of as the best rushers, but they have kind of a lock on their job, and you know they'll get volume, which leads to fantasy points for running backs. Even if they're not getting as much volume or as efficient with it as some of the top guys, at least you know um, they're going to be carrying the ball, or at least that's what you're hoping for. There's always the chance that they get beat out by someone else, but you're looking for touches. Yeah, absolutely. And when you see some of these guys, they're guys that – either could have a lock on the job or like Alfred Blue. I was able to get him at the end of the draft because no one was really looking for him, and I believe he had a good start to put up some decent yards at the beginning of the season, and then I will be hunting on the waiver wire like crazy the first week or two to see if anyone else is kind of popping out, kind of a C.J. Anderson or even Arian Foster himself from several years ago that could just kind of come out of nowhere. Fortunately, I have the first pick in the waiver order, and I'm clinging on to that for dear life hoping that I'm able to find someone to really kind of solidify that RB1 position. Right. So it was it was a fun draft. I, I continue to believe that auction is absolutely the best way to, to have a draft, especially if you can do it in person, and not everyone has that luxury. But it's a much more satisfying, uh, satisfying draft when you're able to target the players you want to really have the strategy you want and make it happen instead of being a slave to your draft position. Yeah. I agree. It's always fun to do every year and also fun to catch up with everyone that a lot of people have heard on our podcast come on and do a guest spot that are in that league, and it's just fun all around. Well, like, let's talk for just a minute before we do our QB rap battle about kind of any things that have actually stood out to us about the preseason. You and I are both very big believers that, for the most part, we really do not watch the preseason games and put hardly any weight on them. But every year, then, maybe it's just us being suckers. There's at least one or two things that we tend to uh, take notice of. For example, this year for me, I uh, have to say that Marcus Mariota, I am liking a little bit more. As time went on, I felt like he did a pretty good job in the preseason and looks like he could have some good chemistry with some of his wide receivers. So he's a guy that, despite trying to hold to my original rankings, I did move him up two or three spots to kind of more of that high-end QB2 range. What about for you? Were there any kind of takeaways from the preseason? And you mean high-end QB3, no? Yes, yes. You don't have him. Okay, I was going to say, that really is moving. No, 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 quality. Uh, high-end QB3, 22-23 spot. Yeah, that's that's right about where I have him. Um, I've been going back and forth and trying to finalize my my projected finishes, but that's that's right around where he'll end up. So um, I, I totally agree with what you said. I would echo that, that generally I don't think the preseason is a good indication of what to expect. It's like Aaron Rodgers just came out and said this week that there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Sometimes coaches have an agreement that they're not going to rush 
um, <laughs> the quarterback, that they're not going to hurt the quarterbacks, that they're not going to show certain coverages, that they're not going to put in certain offensive plays, whether it's agreements with the other team or agreements just internally. We really are seeing such a small percentage of what these teams are going to do in the regular season that it's not always a good indication. But um, I do look at things... So, for instance, we're recording this as the final week of preseason is going on, and you can look at things like who are the players that are not playing here because that's an indication that they really are liked by their team. So Nelson Aguilar is not playing for the Eagles. There was talk early in the offseason that, well, he's low on our depth chart. He's going to need to learn the job. He's going to have to earn playing time. But as the rubber has met the road, really they're going to end up playing him. He's going to be the number two wide receiver um, on that team beside Jordan Matthews. And when you see that he's not playing in the fourth preseason game, it's a sign that they want to keep him safe, that this isn't a guy they feel like, oh, you've got to show us what you've got. Really, that's more coach speak. And when it comes down to playing your starters or sitting your starters and they're sitting, it's interesting to see the guys that are being held out. That really does tell you something. And I don't know how he's doing because we're recording and I'm not watching, but I, I am very interested to read on how Devontae Parker is doing right now that he's finally on the field for the Dolphins. It's a player I think has a lot of promise this year, but he hasn't hasn't been healthy enough to play until now. So I'll, I'll look at that and see kind of how he looked. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. One other guy that I am a little more interested in is kind of Zach Stacy whether or not he'll end up actually kind of carving out a role. He's been in the week four game, so you know it's not anything immediate, but he's just a guy that has been good in the past and I think could end up having the right opportunity mix with an injury here or just poor play by the guys in front of him. So I'm not sure if you agree on him, but he's at least one guy that I've kept a little bit of an eye on. Yeah, and it's there's a lot to watch, and I really don't want to put a lot of weight on things, but I think you can take some away from it. I Another another thing to look at is guys coming off injuries, so a, a Carson Palmer or a Sam Bradford, and that they seem to be moving well, they seem to be throwing well. Those are things you want to look at because it has nothing to do with coverages or protection. or It really is just physically, do they look all right? And then mentally, are they standing up in the pocket? And both of those guys have looked good, so that's been encouraging. Yeah, yeah Carson Palmer was one of those guys I've actually been targeting quite a bit, and it was wonderful to see him play as well as he has. Bradford as well, I hope that he does well on his new team. Well, let's go ahead and transition late, uh, to our QB rap battle. And today we are actually kind of doing uh, the backups rap battle, really. So I am taking Tyrod Taylor and you are taking Kirk Cousins. And uh, would you like to go ahead and uh, start explaining to me why in the world you would take Kirk Cousins above Tyrod Taylor? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting to see these guys that coming into the offseason, there was no way we would have expected to be talking about them as NFL starters. They were very clear backups. Tyrod Taylor, a name that most people hadn't even heard <laughs> before this offseason, but now all of a sudden they're NFL starters, and they might be viable depending on your league and depending on their matchups. So for Kirk Cousins, we talked about RG3 in the past on this podcast and talked about some upside and some possibilities in that offense and that they have weapons. And so that's where I'll start, although I think there's some other points to be made. But there are there are weapons here for Kirk Cousins. He's Deshaun Jackson is an explosive downfield threat. Jordan Reed, if he can be healthy, has shown quite an ability. And in the two games last season where Cousins and Jordan Reed overlapped, Reed was very productive. So I don't know. Obviously, I'm not going to say that a two-game sample size is enough to say that clearly Jordan Reed is going to become an elite tight end, but there are, there are weapons there. Um, 
Alfred Morris is fine, although I think he will be hurt by this change. But Matt Jones now, maybe the the Redskins have more of a a catching out of the backfield option that Kirk Cousins can kind of dump off to a player that looks to be um, agile and looks to be able to make plays. I do think that Kirk Cousins is far, far from someone that you want to just play on in every given week. And I'll get into more some of when you want to play him, but there's weapons there. He's throwing to players. This is not a team that's so devoid of talent that you're putting a bad quarterback with bad weapons. At least he does have some talent around him that can make him viable depending on his matchup. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think Kirk Cousins has actually been a bit of a disappointment to Washington after he really started strong replacing RG3 in 2013, I believe, for those two games where he really shone. But, I mean, he does have the job, and it looks like RG3 and even uh, blanking on his name, but the other now quarterback, too, are just not going to be a uh, a problem. Colt McCoy was blanking on his name. Right. As far as Tyrod Taylor goes, he is a guy that has been very little known. He was originally drafted in the sixth round with 180th pick by Baltimore Ravens and basically did very little there. He only ended up starting one game, and that was week 17. Overall, he's been a guy that is a fairly uh, dynamic rusher. He does have that dual threat ability. In fact, back in high school, he was ranked and in college as one of the top five uh, dual threats in college and in high school. And he's shown that a little bit even with the Ravens. He's actually had in very, very limited time that he's rushed 27 times and averaged over five yards per carry, which is something that you like to see from any guy as a fantasy football player. He is over 200 pounds, and he's six foot one. And he, what impresses me about him when I watch the tape is that he is able to still light it up. I mean, he runs a 4-5-40, which is awesome to see. And he does have Sammy Watkins to throw to. I would say that, if I'm being perfectly honest, the Bills' receiving threats are not nearly as good as the Redskins, but I do like the potential that Clay, Sammy Watkins, even Robert Woods, and if Percy Harvin can ever get his act together, I think that there is some talent there. I love LaShawn McCoy. He has been banged up due to a hamstring, and to me that is going to be one of the biggest deciding factors on where I end up drafting Tyrod Taylor. Right now I'm leaning towards optimism with McCoy, big believer in who he is, and so... Tyra Taylor is a guy that I kind of have as a mid-range QB3, and I think that he will continue to grow. His roster is set up to where he has a lot of talent around him, and I think Rex Ryan will continue to support him and try to get him into a better spot. Plus, his schedule is not all that bad. I mean, he plays the Colts, which defense I, I don't think is anything to worry about, and then England, uh, New England, the Giants, and the Titans in the next few weeks. Those are some pretty easy games for a young quarterback that is up-and-coming defensively, and I think that he will be able to put up some decent numbers, at the very least from some rushing. This is a guy who averaged over 500 rushing yards every time in college, and actually had almost more rushing yards than throwing yards with the Ravens. So he's kind of a Tim Tebow-esque type player that, if he can stay healthy, I think will end up being a better fantasy football player than he probably will in the actual NFL. Right, and then we've seen that mold, the Terrell Priors, the Tim Tebow's, kind of that, that mold you're talking about where they can put up fantasy points even if their team is struggling and it doesn't look pretty. Um, so kind of contrary to that, Kirk Cousins starts off with two rough matchups, Miami and St. Louis, neither one that you would want to play him in. Those are good defenses. 
Um, but it, it gets better after that, playing the Giants, the Eagles, the Falcons, none of which uh, should be strong pass defenses. And one of the things that I think is important to know about Kirk Cousins is that through his career, um, he has a very remarkable split in games that are against good pass defenses and games that are against bad pass defenses. Um, so if you take pass defenses that are in the bottom half of the league, Kirk Cousins has averaged more than 17 fantasy points each game against them, whereas against the top half, he's not even averaged 12 fantasy points per game. So what you're looking at to me in Kirk Cousins, and I think this is an argument in his favor, is that he's very good in the bad matchups, or good for him. And I think you know when to play him, that you know you don't want to trust Kirk Cousins, at least early in the season, against any sort of good defense. You don't want to play him in the first couple of weeks, but you can get him for very cheap if you're still drafting or potentially on your waiver wire. Uh, But you know that he will be a streaming option if you're really struggling at your second quarterback position, if someone goes down with an injury, if it starts coming to the bye weeks. I think that Kirk Cousins will make for a very safe play when it comes to those weeks. And I don't love him. I don't think that I'm going to end up having him ranked very high, but I do think he very firmly has the job. I don't think that they're, given all the turmoil they've had at the position, I don't think that the team is going to be very likely to switch back and forth between him and Colt McCoy and cause the chaos that they did last year. I think that he's more secure in his job uh, than some, uh, than even Tyrod Taylor. I think that, if the Bills struggle on offense, I don't think that Rex is going to so easily give up on EJ Manuel. I think as sad as it is, they may give him some more snaps this year. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see. I think whenever I'm drafting a third quarterback or even potentially a fourth quarterback, depending on how deep your league is, Tyron Taylor's a guy that could end up being kind of that Terrell Pryor or Tim Tebow that is able to do quite, quite well in the uh, – in the NFL and for fantasy owners at least. So when it comes to the rushing, that is something that would really tempt me to take Taylor. If I already have my QB one and two locked and this is just kind of my bye week fill in, I'm not worried about him getting replaced quickly. I think that Rex Ryan is a very passionate and very stubborn man and that he will probably ride with Tyrod Taylor for at least the first five or six games. And the schedule that they have is a decent one, but it's one that the Bills could do if LaShawn McCoy is healthy. I think they will be able to do a couple of decent wins and that their defense will be pretty strong this year, which will help them a lot. So that's where I stand. But let's go ahead and go to the votes. Lake, if you are drafting in a vacuum, which quarterback do you take, Taylor or Cousins? This one's so tough for me to pick in a vacuum because I see them filling very two very different roles. Um, Tyrod Taylor is one that I would love to stash as a fourth quarterback and just wait and see. Um, I, I think I would take him because even if I'm stuck just taking him in a vacuum, I do think he has better upside. I don't think that, that Cousins has nearly the upside that Tyrod Taylor has because of that dual threat that you talked about. And so although I don't feel confident in him, and I certainly wouldn't be throwing him out in week one against the Colts, um, just because I would tend to play it more conservative and wait and see, I would take him because I do think the upside is greater. And we've talked about it on the podcast before that I would like to have that upside on my bench. I don't, I'm not worried about just having a decent bad quarterback 
if I'm only going to be starting them once or twice, I'd rather have the upside that they potentially could become my QB2. So I don't love Tyrod Taylor, but I am intrigued by his upside. And if he hits, it it could be very big. So I would draft him. What about you? In a vacuum, I would definitely take Taylor. I think Cousins is a guy that will play, but I'm not sure if he'll be really worth even as much. It is an interesting stat about kind of the good matchups that you have, but there are enough matchups that I don't feel like Cousins can be confident about to where I would actually end up playing him very often. Taylor's a guy that could be a complete bust, but when you go for the first four or five weeks as to who I would end up taking, which is generally kind of what I'm looking for with a QB3 is because I think all of them are relatively insecure in their jobs, Taylor's definitely the guy that I will take for the upside in those rushing yards. Cool. So we're definitely both on the same page that we would be drafting him ahead of Kirk Cousins. Yeah, very nice. All right, well, that's about all the time that we have this evening. And, Lake, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the upcoming season. Now, we are obviously entering into week one in just over a week, and we'll be recording every couple weeks for the most part, talking about different things, talking about strategy of trades, as well as different guys that we would be uh, continuing to play in various matchups. But is there anything that you would like to kind of tell people about as far as kind of how we transition now that most of the NFL drafts for fantasy football have been completed? Sure. Like you said, we will be kind of moving to a more bi-weekly or kind of shooting for bi-weekly as we're going through. It won't be weekly. Um, what we'll be looking at is, like you said, thoughts about trades, waiver pickups, and just reviewing quarterback play, seeing if we can forecast any any upcoming values. So the podcast itself will move to a little more sporadic um, on fakepigskin.com. However, the writing is really going to pick up. Uh, we have we will have at least weekly two quarterback articles coming for both you and I, yeah. as well as the rest of the team. So that'll be exciting. And um, that is really the place that you'll see more two quarterback content will be in written form over at fakepigskin.com. Yeah. And so we'll be doing those rankings every week, pumping out a lot of articles and then obviously doing the podcast biweekly or if anything big comes up that we really need to discuss. And we'll also be putting that out there as well. And like Lake said, you can follow all of that at fakepigskin.com. That's about all the time that we have for tonight. But uh, Lake, I got to say, it feels like football is actually almost here one week. <laughs> It's it's a good time of the year. Yes, it is. I'm just trying to find ways to distract myself. Well, everyone, follow us on Twitter, at Burger2QBs and at Lake2QBs. Send us any questions that you have or any rankings, and we will uh, look forward to hearing from you. But other than that, thanks for listening in.